If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and one of our ushers will hand you one. Uh, it is really a great joy to introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, Ken Shigematsu is the pastor of 10th Street Alliance Church in Vancouver, Canada, one of the more beautiful areas in the world, beautiful cities in the world. Uh, he's been the senior pastor since 1996, when Ken took over the church in 1996, as he mentioned yesterday, there are about uh, 20 different pastors in 20 different years. And so when he took over, the church had gone to about 100 people, went down, and in the 20 years, the church has really grown and planted many other wonderful communities in the Vancouver area. What I love about his church is his church is very similar to ours in that it inc- it's very diverse. It includes uh, immigrants and students, young families, artists, entrepreneurs, athletes, professionals, uh, the urban poor, people on the margins of society. And just like our church, their church is really committed to justice and mercy, uh, to helping people who are struggling with poverty, helping women who have been involved in a sex trade. Uh, the, The church is really coming alongside those on the margins, and they're planting communities of faith within that area. And so I am deeply grateful for the work that's taking place out of 10th Street Alliance Church. Uh, Ken is also what I love when I when Ken comes he was here about three years ago I love when Ken comes because he really feels like he's home and it feels like the words that he says and the content that he brings really flows that not just out of his life but really resonates deeply with our church here at New Life Ken's written a couple of books one book he wrote uh, which was a bestseller is called God in my everything it's about really seeing the entirety of life as worship where he unpacks a rule of life. And as you know, at New Life, we're in a rule of life series. And so uh, if you have not picked up that book, it's a fantastic book, God in My Everything. But here's a new book that's out, and it's called Survival Guide for the Soul. It just came out uh, very recently. And the subtitle is How to Flourish Spiritually in a World that Pressures Us to Achieve. Uh, we, we ordered uh, 200 books for this day here. There's about 50 left, all right? And so at the end of the service, Ken will be downstairs in the lobby. Feel free to purchase one. But for those of you who want to pick up a copy and get it at the discounted rate that it's available at today, you can fill out a sign-up sheet. If we run out of books, I'm sure we will. Uh, but you can fill out, there will be a, a sheet there, and we will send the book. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll send it over here, and then we can make sure you get in your hand at the discounted uh, rate there. But Ken will be downstairs just signing uh, some copies in the lobby area. Uh, Ken is married to Sakiko, and they have a 10-year-old uh, son named Joey. This is his second time here. I found out he, was, he spent some time in New York City when he was two, all right? And so... Yeah, that, 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 that passes for a New Yorker. I'll adopt him as a New Yorker here. Uh, but uh, he's out in Vancouver, Canada. We're thrilled he's here. And whenever someone comes to speak, uh, we show them a really warm hospitality, just like we celebrated Gabby and her baptism. Whenever we get someone here, we give them a really big ovation. And so would you welcome Ken Shigematsu as he comes up to preach God's Word today. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a joy to be here on the day Gabrielle is baptized. I love this church. Being called a New Yorker is one of the great compliments of my life. (laughs) Great to be with you and and all the folks that are watching online. I really feel that, that New Life Church is one of the great churches in the world. And, you know, 
you're here, this is your church, maybe this is all you know, but this church has impacted our church in Vancouver, especially through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality teachings and many churches around the globe. So thank you for the contribution that you are making internationally for the kingdom of God. Love this church, and I'm so grateful for Rich and his leadership and his preaching. If I was living in New York City, I'm living in Canada now, I would be attending this church and would be gladly bringing myself under Rich's pastoral leadership. I really respect him, and I'm thankful for him. I was raised primarily in North America, but I was actually born in in Tokyo, and we moved, as Rich says, let me say it one more time, to New York City briefly (laughs) when I was two. I'm glad that counts for something here. But I married a a Japanese woman, and so I'm back in Japan on a fairly regular basis. And when I'm back in Japan, sometimes I think to myself, what would it have been like if our family had not moved away when I was so young? What would my life have been like if I had been born and then raised in Japan? And I think about how there would have been enormous pressure on me to get into the right preschool, and then the right kindergarten, and eventually the right college, and then the right company. And I breathe a sigh of relief as I think, thank God I wasn't raised in such a relentless rat race. But if I'm honest with myself, living here in North America, I haven't quite escaped the pressure to achieve. When I was younger, I felt the pressure to achieve in sports and in school. And then I felt the pressure to achieve in the corporate world. And then I became a pastor, and I still felt the pressure to achieve. Some of you think that pastoring is a more, quote, spiritual and less competitive vocation. But I felt the burden to get something done. Ambition is a good thing. But if you feel like you need to achieve something in order to prove to yourself or someone important in your life that you are enough, then life begins to feel like a burden. And if you've ever felt the burden to achieve as a student or at work or in a relationship or in some other sphere of your life, then Jesus has some really good news for you, some great news for you here at New Life. He says to you, The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Perfect Father in heaven, help us through the grace of the Holy Spirit to wear the yoke that you have perfectly designed for us, that we might live free in light. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you know, if you've been around, New Life is currently in a series on the rule of life. As Rich has said, a rule of life frees you to not be ruled by life. And as our friend Matt, who I think is from Boston, knows, a rule of life is also a rope 
that tethers us to God so that when we feel lost, we're found. And as we continue in this series today, I want us to look at how a rule or a rhythm of life can help us to pursue a life of achievement and significant contribution, not out of an anxious need to validate ourselves, but out of a place of inner rest and gratitude, knowing that we are already accepted by the one who matters most. And then we're going to look at a few practices that enable us to awaken in new ways to a sense that I pray Gabrielle especially has today, that we are loved by our perfect Father in heaven. So Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so this morning, if you feel weary or burdened in some way, this invitation is for you. Jesus is saying, Come and experience my rest. Now, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, we might ask, How will that happen? Jesus says, by wearing my yoke. And when Jesus uses the word yoke, he's not talking about a yellow egg yolk. (laughs) I hope that's obvious enough. He's talking about a wooden bar that is placed across the back of the neck of an ox, enabling it to more easily pull a heavy load. So Jesus here is comparing you and me to an ox. Not very flattering. If you're an American, you would probably prefer to be compared to a soaring eagle. Or if you're a Canadian, a beaver. (laughs) That's our national animal, so you learned something today. Not as cool as an eagle, admittedly, but they're industrious and pretty good at making dams. But Jesus compares us neither to an eagle nor a beaver, but to an ox. It's not flattering, but it is apt because a lot of us feel weighted down by all kinds of burdens. And when Jesus first spoke these words, his first century hearers would have felt weighted down by, will I have enough money to feed my family in a farming-based subsistence economy? Those with children would have been concerned about their children's health in a world where most newborns did not live to see the age of 20. And we still have concerns about finances today and about the well-being of our family and loved ones. But we also have a concern that people in the first century did not feel as keenly as we do. People in the first century would not have felt the burden about whether they were achieving enough, whether they were enough in the same way we do, because they were born into a world where their station in life was determined largely by the family they were born into and their social circumstances. Now, in a place like New York, we can climb professional ladders and social ladders. That's a great thing. But in this context where we can rise, what if we don't become really successful, or we don't become the people we were projected to be. We can feel like a failure. And so if you've ever felt the burden of needing to achieve so that you know that you are enough, 
This invitation is for you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How so? By placing my yoke upon you. Some of you may say, if I want to rest, I don't need a yoke. I need a hammock. I need a massage. Or as the weather is getting cooler here in New York City, I need an all-expense-paid vacation to the Caribbean. (laughs) But Jesus says, no, if you want to experience rest in your body and in your soul, take my yoke upon you. Why? Because he knows we're wearing the wrong yokes, yokes that weigh us down, yokes that don't fit us very well, yokes that chafe against the back of our neck. And some of the heaviest yokes that we wear are the yokes of people's expectations, maybe a parent's or someone important in our life. And maybe the heaviest yoke of all is the yoke of our own self-expectation for our life. And as I said earlier, I know about that. When I was younger, I felt the pressure to achieve in sports, as a student, in the world of work. When I was single, I even felt the pressure to boost my sagging self-esteem by being with the right romantic partner. And we can get trapped into if-then thinking. If only I can get into the right school, then I'll feel good about me. If only I can get hired by the right company, then I'll feel okay about me. If only I can finally buy an apartment here in Queens, then I'll feel all grown up. But according to Sean Acor, the psychologist who teaches at Harvard, This if-then kind of thinking cannot be supported by science because every time we achieve a goal, our brain moves the goalpost of what success looks like. So you get into the right school, the the goalpost moves. Now I've got to get good grades. I get hired by the right organization. Now I need to stand out in that organization. I finally, miraculously, am able to buy a small apartment here in Queens Now I want to buy a detached house. Our sense of being enough is not something that we achieve. It's something that we receive. Have you ever seen the movie Cool Runnings? Some of you have seen it. It's loosely based on the true story of Jamaica attempting to field a bobsledding team for the 1988 Calgary Olympic Games. They were the ultimate underdog team. And in the movie, which is, as I said, loosely based on a true story, the coach who has won two gold medals himself walks into a room where he sees his star bobsledder, Darius, carefully studying the bob course sled for the final run. And he sees that Darius is carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders because Darius believes, if only I can win the gold medal, then I'll finally be seen as successful. People will at last respect me. And the coach who's won two gold medals himself walks over to Darius and says, Darius, winning a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without the gold medal, you won't be enough with it. Our sense of enoughness isn't something we achieve. It's something we receive. It's not something that we grasp. It's something that we're gifted with. 
It's not something we create for ourselves. It's something that is conferred upon us by another. And Jesus says, if you want to really rest deeply in your souls, then take my yoke upon your shoulders. So what is Jesus' yoke? It's not really clear in verse 29. And if a word in the Bible isn't clear, the best way to understand it is by looking at the context. So you scroll five verses back or so. You see that Jesus is just basking in his relationship with his perfect Father in heaven, saying, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for revealing your truths, not necessarily to the best and the brightest, but to children and to those who approach you with the humility of a child. And Jesus is just basking in the wonder of the Father's love for him in their relationship. Gerald Johnson, a New Testament scholar, points out that Jesus' yoke is the yoke of his Father's love upon his shoulders. And the yoke that he wants you to wear is the yoke of his perfect Father's unique love for you. And it sounds simple enough, but if you will wear the yoke of the Father's love, a perfect Father's love on your shoulders that's uniquely designed for you, it will make you feel lighter and freer. Let me, let me illustrate. Um, some years back when I was single, I was in Japan talking to a, a friend of mine about a personal problem that he was facing. And Japanese people prefer to discuss these personal things face-to-face as opposed to by FaceTime or by phone. So I'm in Japan. We're on this little island. and His college friend, Sakiko's name, comes up, the friend he had from his college days. And, and I, I sort of blurt out, you know, I always... I always liked her. I always liked liked her. He's like, well, she's still single and beautiful. You should call her. I'm like, I'm not here to socialize. He says, no, no, she, she asks about you. She had, had a good impression of you. She remembers you. So he pulls out his phone and he starts dialing. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know what to say. But he puts the phone in my hand. And I'm like, hi, how are you? Uh, yeah, this, this is, uh, yeah, this is Ken. Uh, and she says, are you the guy from Berkeley? No, that was Jeff. <laughs> Honestly, she had no idea who I was. I don't know what came over me, but I said, Are you doing anything on Wednesday? Would you like to have coffee together? She's like, no, I'm busy. And I don't know what came over me, but I said, I don't know what your plans are, but can you change your plans? Japanese people have a hard time saying no. So that worked in my favor, and we got together, and things sort of worked out for us. <laughs> But my, my point is, to get back to the point here, you, you wouldn't know this about me, um, but I am terrified of rejection, especially in romantic pursuit. And I think back, why did I just put myself out for a potential heartbreak and humiliation like that? She said, no, why did you say change your plan? You know? And as I think back, Part of the reason I was able to do that is because I had slowly begun to wear the yoke of the Father's love on my shoulders. And when you know you're loved by the Father, then you can put yourself out and risk rejection and failure in relationship in all other kinds of spheres of life. So this can really change our lives. 
Rich mentioned that I've just written a book called Survival Guide for the Soul, How to Flourish Spiritually in a World that Pressures Us to Achieve. In this book, I explore some of the practices that awaken us to a sense of God's love. So let me offer a few of them briefly now. If you were here yesterday, you may recall that I mentioned that I'm a very easily distracted person. So someone just walked in the door, so I'm just sort of being distracted here. You can sit in the front if you want. My seat is free. I don't want me to embarrass you. Don't stare, okay? And so at any given time, I can feel like there are a thousand and 29 chimpanzees jumping around in my head. And so at some point in the morning, I'll simply take some time to sit and breathe deeply. Breathing in through my nose. Breathing out. Breathing in. Breathing out. And then I'll start to think, how much time has gone by anyway? And so I'll reach for my phone, not to check my messages, to check texts, but to open up a free app called Centering Prayer with a timer. And so I set the timer to maybe 20 minutes, continue to breathe deeply without thinking about the time. Time goes off as though I were at a monastery being summoned to pray by a bell. Continue breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in. And then I start to think of all the things I ought to be doing my to-do list. <laughs> what am I doing just sitting? And so I'll reach for my Bible, and I'll turn to a passage, maybe just take a phrase that I'm familiar with, and every time my mind is distracted, I'll repeat the phrase to myself. Be still. And know that I am God. Breathing in, breathing out, distracted. Be still and know that I am God. And to shift the scene just for a moment here. I live not that far from the water in Vancouver. I love being on the water kayaking or sailing with a friend on his boat. There have been times when I've been out on the water and I've seen salmon jumping out of the ocean at a 45-degree angle, or a pod of dolphins, or maybe even, on very rare occasions, a couple of whales. And sometimes when I'm sitting, I simply feel upheld by this beautiful, mysterious, loving presence that upholds the whole world and upholds me. At other times when I'm sitting, honestly, anxiety rises in my heart, or anger, resentment, a feeling of envy towards someone. And I lift these dark emotions up to God, and I feel lighter. I feel that they're taken away. And I come back, and I lift them up again. And after the 20 minutes are done, Time goes off, and I almost always feel just a bit more relaxed, and throughout the day, just a bit more aware 
of the Father's love for me. Meditation, silent meditation, is a way that I feel the Father's yoke of love resting on my shoulders. Something else that I do, another practice, is in the evening, I pray a 500-year-old prayer called the Prayer of Examine. So at night, before going to bed, I open up another app called, this is also free, called Reimagining the Examine. And it has a little bit of music. And this 500-year-old prayer invites me to look back over the day, over the last 24 hours, and to identify two or three things that felt like a gift from God and to savor those things. They might be simple things like the opportunity to go for a run in the morning, a meaningful conversation with someone, a delicious meal at night. And this exercise sounds simple, so ridiculously simple, but I'm telling you, this is the kind of practice that can change our lives. The research shows that when we take four or five minutes to give thanks for two or three things, it changes the way we move through the world. So right now, my colleague Edlin, she is in the market for a cream-colored Austin Cooper Mini. They're made in England, but she sees them everywhere in Vancouver. She's not crazy. They, They import them to Canada. So when she's out on the streets in our city, she sees Austin Mini Coopers everywhere. It's not like there are more of them out there. She just notices them more. And when you take a few minutes to give thanks for two or three things, you start to notice more of the good things in your life. It's not like there are more good things, but it seems like there are more. And when you associate those good things with God's love for you, you wear more of the yoke of the Father's love on your shoulders. Then a third practice that is a survival habit for my soul is Sabbath. I know that Rich... And your preachers here talk a lot about this. So I know that this is part of your page. But part of what Sabbath does for us is that it reminds us that our lives are not defined by making bricks, that we are not slaves, but that we are cherished, beloved daughters. Gabrielle, I hope you feel that way today and every day. And sons of perfect father. You know, we've got a 10-year-old son named Joey who's not very productive. He's 10. He started fifth grade. He loves to play with his toys, his Legos, does not like to clean up. He earns no money for our household economy. You know, the other day I was saying at this other service, um, he had a birthday party and a friend of his gave him a cash gift. So as you open the card, this bill just wafted out and, and fell to the table. He looked at his friend and said, thank you. I love cash. (laughs) Times he struggled in school, gotten kicked out, and you know, for just goofing around. But we don't love Joey because he's productive or because he earns money for our household or because he gets good grades or not. We love him simply because he is alive and breathing. And the Father loves you simply because you're alive and breathing. And when You take time to pause for Sabbath, you're reminded that you have value not because of what you produce, but simply because you are a daughter or son of God. So those are three of the survival habits. I write about eight in in the book, Survival Guide for the Soul. 
There are copies available afterwards. As Rich said, we will likely sell out. I want to apologize for not sending more. I talked to one of the leaders here about what you would project selling. This is my first time speaking about this outside of our own church in terms of a church context, so we didn't exactly know. We brought four times, 400% what was estimated to be sold, and it looks like we'll sell out. We'll send more. We're, we're able to offer it about half the retail price using a discount code. Uh, all the proceeds from book sales will go to World Vision and to missions that support vulnerable children. So when it opened and it became not the, a number one bestseller, we were really thankful. This is going to help kids. I don't receive a penny from any book sales. But if you're here and we sell out, we have some available that I can sign afterwards in the lobby. Just write your name down. and um, If you don't mind prepaying, uh, we'll have a copy shipped to you. And the series goes for five or six more weeks. So this could be a nice companion to go deeper with the rule of life. And if you don't have $10, um, I have some American money that I can't use in Canada. <laughs> I'm serious. So, And they're all green, you know, in Canada. So I'm dropping it. So thinking, it's not that useful for me. I'd be glad to put this in your hand. Seriously, I've got some more in this pocket too. It's not like I'm a magician that I can just grow money, but I'm serious. When I began in the pastoral ministry, I couldn't afford to go to movies or buy books or go out for dinner, and so I, I'd honestly be honored to do that. Uh, just hit me up while I have some cash, okay? I can't use it in Canada. And if we sell out, as I said, downstairs, just come and we'll put your name down. We'll, we'll ship a copy to you. Let me uh, close with, with this story this a program called the Arrow Leadership Program that I enrolled in as I was leaving the corporate world, about to head into pastoral ministry. And as I began Arrow Leadership, about 25 of us gathered in Charlotte, North Carolina. We were the, 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 the cohort class. And as one of my classmates later said, we were sort of looking at each other as though we were pilots in the movie Top Gun. I was the youngest person or one of the youngest in the class, the least accomplished in Christian ministry. And so I was desperate to impress the founder of Arrow Leadership, Leighton Ford, who was a mentor to Pete, Pete Scazzaro, the, the brother-in-law of Billy Graham. And so one time in class, I raised my hand, and I was able to summarize an obscure book written by an MIT professor. I was really trying to impress him. But here's what I discovered as I got to know Leighton, and I stumbled as a young Christian leader Got into conflict because I didn't have enough emotionally healthy, I don't even know how to say it, spirituality, emotional health. I should have read the books, but they weren't, they weren't written then. I was in a relationship, a dating relationship, where we were crossing some boundaries we shouldn't have been crossing. And I discovered through that experience that Leighton Ford, this distinguished Christian leader, didn't accept me because of my performance or because I could contribute something to his organization. He accepted me just because. 20, 25 years later, I'm with him. I was just with him in North Carolina earlier this week. I feel more at home in his skin, in my skin, not in his skin. It's not like I'm having out of my experience. Since I'm so relaxed, I can't remember my lines. I feel more at home in my skin than ever before. Good, I'm glad you got that. Glad I got that. Um, but my point is, it's not that I no longer want to make something out of my life and ministry, in part to honor Leighton Ford's investment in me, but it no longer comes out of an anxious need to prove myself 
but out of a deep place of inner rest and gratitude, knowing that I'm already accepted by him. And this is what I want for you in relationship to God. I want you to go for it. I want you to do your very best, but not out of an anxious need to prove that you are enough, but out of a place of deep inner rest and gratitude, knowing that you are already enough in the eyes of the one person who matters most your maker, your perfect father who cherishes you as a daughter, as a son. Let's pray together. If you're here, and unlike Gabrielle, you don't have this sense that you are a daughter of God or a real son of God. I want you to know that no matter what your past, 2,000 years ago, God became a human being in Jesus Christ. And through his death on the cross for your sins, he opened the door for you to experience the forgiveness of all your sins, to be cleansed, to be given a new beginning with God, to be adopted as a much-loved daughter or son of God. And so if that's what you want right now in your heart, you can say, God, I don't understand it all, but forgive my sins and make me your daughter, make me your son. And he'll wrap his arms around you in love as a perfect father and adopt you into his family. You can do that now in your heart. And if you want to turn to the father's love, let me read some words from Kazuo Ishiguro, words that he wrote when he won the Nobel Prize. Listen to his own story. I don't know that he knows the love of God, but he wrote this. All I know is that I've wasted all these years looking for some something, a sort of trophy I'd get if I really, really did enough to deserve it. But I don't want the trophy anymore. I want something else, something warm and sheltering, something I can turn to regardless of what I do, regardless of who I become, something that will just always be there like tomorrow's sky. That's what I want now, and it's what I want for you as well. And if you're here and you want someone to turn to, something to turn to, someone to turn to, that will always be there in love like tomorrow's sky, listen to the words of Jesus who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Say, Jesus, please put the yoke of your Father's love on my shoulders and help me to live light and free now and always. It's a yoke that will not weigh you down. It's a yoke that will lift you up. And so you can say, Jesus, please place the yoke of the Father's love on my shoulders. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing.
give uh, thanks to Ken uh, for blessing us, teaching us, leading us into the Father's love. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. We'll also have uh, Stephen McIntosh is here as well to offer the bread and the cup for those of you who want to receive prayer. Prayer is one of the ways that we enter into the love of God, to receive the love of God. And the love of the Father's, uh, the yoke of the Father's love, Jesus wants to place it on you. And that's kind of conferred on us when we receive prayer. I love that Jesus, when he preaches this, he doesn't just preach it out of good theology. He preaches this out of real experience. Before Jesus says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus experiences the love of the Father for himself, where before Jesus began his ministry, he gets baptized, and when he comes out of the water, the Father's voice says, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. And I love that that affirmation of God's love came in Matthew 3, and not at the end of Jesus' life. Because if it came after the end of Jesus' life, after he healed the sick, after he raised the dead, after he resurrected from the grave, and then the Father said, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased, it would seem as if God's love is based on what we do. But when the Father's word of affirmation is spoken over Jesus, it's spoken before he raises the dead, before he heals the sick, before he preaches the gospel, before he opens up blind eyes and deaf ears, and the Father says, this is my son. God's love is unconditional, and it is for you. And so listen, some of you, you're carrying heavy burdens today, the burdens of self-hatred, of expectations you have for yourself, and God wants to lift those burdens up, and we have our prayer team here. Whatever is weighing you down, come up to receive prayer, come to receive the bread and the cup, and let the love of God permeate your soul. At the end of the service, Ken will be downstairs in the lobby area. And so for those of you who want to pick up a copy of the book, please feel free to do so. Um, for those of you, if, if you run out of copies, like I said, you can fill out your name there and we'll send it to you. Uh, but if you want to give thanks to Ken as well, feel free to wait online and offer a few words of gratitude and thanksgiving as well. But as we close, uh, let me invite you to open your hands for seven to receive a blessing. We also have our sign-ups for Sunday ministry, whether it's worship, whether it's Sunday connection, whether it's the building, whether it's events. And so if you want to get involved and begin to serve, just stop by that table as well to take your next step uh, in that direction. If you're watching online, feel free to open your hands towards heaven as well. God sees you and God wants to bless you. And the reason we end every gathering with blessing is because the world is filled with cursing, as you know. There's a lot of cursing and hostility and animosity that we often give towards one another and receive from others. But when we walk out of the house of God, we walk out receiving blessing, knowing that the love of the Father is for you. And so with your hands and your hearts in the posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, receiving the love of the Father, the yoke of the Father's love. And may you offer that love to all you encounter this week. I bless you all today in the strong 
in the beautiful and the loving name of Jesus. And everyone said, grace and peace to you all.